Sean Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay Review, Circa Now, I Rock It From The Crypt. I mean, not every band has to be freaking Bon Jovi. At a time when bands were doing soft verses and loud choruses, this was a band that did loud verses and louder choruses. They play one song at 3-4, that's about as complex as they get. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again, my co-host, Jason Ziak. Jay, yeah. how are you? I'm doing better. So last week, I said that we were going to have a special guest on this episode. Turns out I lied. Our guest was unable to join us. Um, however, his suggestion lives on. You're breaking my heart. Yes. Um, originally, we had planned to have record label executive Bill Litfin join us. <laughs> but uh, scheduling and various things we'll just call life got in the way and he's unable to join us for this podcast so we're going to review the record that he wanted to um come on the show and review with us and that's rocket from the crypts 1992 album i think it's 92 92 or 91 something like that uh their album circa now and bill has an interesting uh bill has an interesting tie to this band in that bill had a record label for quite a while it's called glazed records and i wanted to ask him there's the the okay now i gotta ask you the the album yeah. that you were listening to were you listening to the 11 track album or the 15 track album 15 okay so we're listening to the same one which mm -hmm. is actually the re-release yeah so track 11 on Circa Now is called Glazed, and I wanted yep. to ask him if he named his record label after that song, because the first release on Glazed Records was a 7-inch by Rocket from the Crypt. Oh, I'm sure that's how it got the name. So, I work with Bill, I know him pretty well, and he introduced me to this band, and the way he introduced me is that I, I'm pretty sure he was running their website back in the late 90s um, I think he designed it and uh, pretty much updating it for the band I believe the deal was um, when he put the label together they they uh, gave him some music to put out uh, when he put the label together so um, they ended up being the first release I want to say he did another release with them at some point but I know he, he did at least one with them and I'm pretty sure he got the name from him I printed out the entire discography of Glazed Records, and I do not see another release from Rocket from the Crypt. These are the bands that, uh, there's some in interesting stuff that came out on Glazed, and this was over a pretty short period of time, only a couple years. Mm -hmm. So you've got the Rocket from the Crypt 7-inch, then you have an, a 7-inch by Puffball, mm -hmm. a 7-inch by local Columbus band Tiara, 7-inch by Adam West, which included a cover of Supernaut by Black Sabbath. Seven Inch by The Peep Shows. Another one from The New Bomb Turks. Uh, Spanish Fly by Night. 
uh, 7-inch, which included a cover of Chip Away the Stone by the Aerosmith. 7-inch uh, by the Space Cowboys. And then the first full-length, Eltame's We As In Us. They also are, He also released the second Eltame album, Dark Days. Two, those are two of my really favorite albums of the 2000s. I really like both those albums. Yeah, they're good. A couple more 7 Inches. The Retardos, The Spitfires, and The Dishes. So what would you say was... I don't know. Glaze didn't have necessarily a particular sound. I mean, there's some... Rocket from the Crypt has its particular sound, and there's some punk and some Ultimate's kind of stoner metal rock hard rock in the in a queens of the stone age mold i guess well i i would say though that i bet a lot of those bands maybe not ultimate but i think most of the others were influenced um inspired by rock from the crypt that that was one thing i um i definitely learned that i didn't know was that there was sort of a whole resurgence of um Oh, I guess gr- garage rock, but a little bit more commercial than that um, mm-hmm. in, the, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And a lot of those bands were coming from were coming from the sort of rock from the Crip school. Now, they didn't, I, you know, r- do exactly what they did in terms of, you know, they didn't have the horns and that sort of thing. But they were taking punk rock, um, uh, which is a theme I think we've talked about a lot, but they've taken this a certain aspect of punk rock and... Um, you know, with sort of a hard rock, arena rock sort of energy to it, and classic rock sort of aspects as well, and, and sort of repackaging it as a really true, honest, you know, straight up form of, uh, you know, rock and roll. I think that uh, the Crypt and this album were a centerpiece to that, to make all that happen, so... I think the the aesthetic that is the aesthetic. I think it yeah. Very, it's it's kind of a, a you know pretty appropriate that that uh, Rocket uh, was the first album he put out because I think all those other bands would uh, definitely say they were big fans. Like I'm a huge fan of the Helicopters. I'm pretty sure they're big fans of Rock from the Crypt. Um, that seems um, logical. I like the Wild Hearts. They were big fans of Rock from the Crypt. Backyard Babies. I think are big fans of Rock from the Crypt. All those bands, like a lot of those Swedish bands. Um, that happened in the late 90s, early 2000s that, that I love. Um, a lot of them were, were inspired by Rock from the Crypt. So it sort of led this whole resurgence. So... what I understand. We should get into the history. Before we do, Jay, where was Rocket from the Crypt from? San Diego. Yeah. Nice call. Did you know Finally, that? Finally, I got one right. Did you know that from looking it up recently, or did you just know that? I just knew that. Okay. So, history of Rocket from the Crypt. History of the band. They were formed, as mentioned, in San Diego, California in 1989 by John Reese. I'm guessing that's how it's pronounced. They actually formed two bands at the same time after... The breakup of his band Pitchfork in 1990. He formed Rocket from the Crypt and Drive Like Jehu at the same time. The original Rocket from the Crypt lineup included Reese, guitarist Andy Stamets, bassist Peter Reichert, drummer Sean, that's all, just Sean, and backing vocalist Elena. 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 
Blah, I can't say that, Lena. Um, the band took their name from the defunct 1970s underground punk band Rocket from the Tombs. The lineup lasted about six months and recorded the band's debut album, Paint as Fragrance, released in 1991 on Cargo Music. It's around this time that the band started using pseudonyms. Uh, John Reese changed his name to Speedo, or referenced, or sort of being referenced as Speedo, um, and was also recording Drive, recording with Drive Like Jehu, who also released their debut album around the time, this time. Um, Sean and Elenia left San Diego, and drummer Adam Willard joined the band under the name Adam, A O A T O M, not A D A M, like Adam Bomb. The rest of the band took on stage names, uh, Stamets performing as ND, Reichert as PDX. The band added a horn section, recruiting saxophonist Paul Apollo 9 O'Byrne. It was around this time as they were touring for Paint as Fragrance that they developed a reputation as a creative live show and very energetic. Um, including such things as audience participation with handing out noisemakers and lyric booklets so people could sing along to their songs. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, the second album, Circa Now, was released... Can you imagine a, a, crowd of, a, cr- <laughs> a crowd of kids standing around with little booklets staring at them? That'd be awesome. Thank you. <laughs> so... The album we're reviewing, Circa Now, was released in 1992, followed by a tour and videos for Ditch Digger and Sturdy Wrist. They added a second member to the horn section, bringing in trumpeter Jason JC2000 Crane. It was around this time that Reese announced to a fanzine that all fans with Rocket from the Crypt tattoos would be allowed into the band's show for free for life, causing an upsurge in Rocket from the Crypt tattoos to be um, popular, which we'll get to a little bit later as to who got a Rocket from the Crypt tattoo. Uh, By the end of 92, there was a major label bidding war, and both Rocket from the Crypt and Drive Like Jay, who got signed to Interscope. Rocket from the Crypt deal was almost an unlimited recording budget and freedom to record vinyl releases for other labels. There was a phony press release put out at the time that said that they got they got paid 70 million dollars <laughs> so that's how they were able to do the glaze record then yes exactly because it was a vinyl. he only did vinyl so they released a bunch of vinyl singles which were compiled and released on the album all systems go and interscope re-released circa now they toured the band members decided to take six months off in 1994 while Reese recorded the second and final Drive Like Jehu album. After the hiatus, the band uh, released, released several more vinyl singles and uh, a trilogy of records in 1995. First, the EP, The State of Art, is on fire. Then the album Hot Charity. Then they did a six-week free tour in support of Hot Charity where... Interscope covered the costs of the, of the entire tour, and fans were allowed free into all of their shows. Man, what did they have on Interscope? I don't know. It was bad. Uh, 
Got a hell of a deal with them. They went back into the studio and re- recorded the album Scream, Dracula Scream, which is the album that I first heard them um, on. They took a large recording budget into the studio and added string sec- a string section and um, producers for the first time, or I guess high-budget producers, so that they could create a sonically diverse album with as big a sound as possible. Um, I mentioned the tattoos. MTV VJ Kennedy, everybody remember Kennedy with the glasses? Sported a Rocket from the Crypt tattoo on her ankle on national television. And lo and behold, Rocket from the Crypt started getting MTV airplay. On a rope, Born in 69 and Young Livers were all uh, singles. And On a Rope was a hit on MTV Europe. They got rave reviews in the NME and played top pop, pop, top of the pops. They continued their uh, stage gimmicks and antics, which included holding live raffles during their during their performances, spinning a large game show wheel to determine the set lists, on stage fire breathing, annual Halloween and New Year's shows, and the wearing of coordinated stage costumes. <laughs> In Europe, the band also hosted a German variety show, playing children's shows, morning shows, and did an interview with fashion magazines. In 98, the band released the uh, self-titled RFTC. They were joined by Chris Prescott from the bands Tanner and No Knife as touring percussionist and keyboardist. In 1999, San Diego Music Magazine Slam named them the best San Diego band of all time. Uh, They played New Year's Eve 2000. After releasing the EP Cut Carefully and Play uh, Play Loud that year, disagreements between between band members over the direction of the band resulted in drummer Adam Willard departing the group in early 2000. He would go on to act as Weezer's drum technician and play in the band The Special Goodness later becoming permanent drummer in both The Offspring and Angels and Airwaves. Hmm. Uh, RFTC went on a brief hiatus, during which John Reese launched his own record label, Swami Records, and released a second rarity collection for Rocket from the Crib called All Systems Go 2, and formed two new bands, Hot Snakes and Sultans. Um, it was also this year that the band left their deal with Interscope and signed to Vagrant, they started working on the album Group Sounds with Super Chunk drummer John Worcester on drums. Uh, through the recording process, they brought in drummer and professional skateboarder Mario Rublacaba as the full-time drummer, and he was renamed Ruby Mars, which is easier to say than Mario Rublacaba, I guess. Uh, they toured... But the band members continued on other projects, and by 2002, the band released their uh, final studio album live from Camp X-Ray, as John Reese devoted more time to recording and touring with Hot Stakes and Sultans, and uh, signing bands to his Swami label. In 2005, after the Hot Snakes broke up, Reese announced that Rocket from the Crypt would play their final show in that uh, show no, that Halloween 
in San Diego after a East Coast tour. Um, they played uh, before a capacity crowd at Western Horton Plaza Hotel in downtown San Diego on Halloween, which was filled for a DVD release. Uh, after the band's breakup, John Reese focuses his energy on Swami Records and played with the Sultans until they broke up in 2007. He then formed the Night Marchers, who are currently still together. Uh, Reichert founded and runs the online merchandise company Merch Lackey O'Byrne teaches project management and marketing at a San Diego high school, while Crane left San Diego for Belize. Stamets continues to perform in San Diego area bands such as Beehive and the Barracudas. And uh, Ruby Mars became part owner of the independent record store Thirsty Moon Records in the Hillcrest area of San Diego and plays with the bands Earthless and Off. Swami Records released a rough... You know who else is that? Do you remember the band Off? Off has got uh, Keith Morris from Circle Jerks and and some other important people. The bass player from Red Cross. There you go. That's right. Call there, Jay. Uh, Swami Records released a rough cut of the Rocket from the Crypt Farewell DVD in 2006, but a fire at the offices of the video company producing the DVD pushed back the final version. It was finally released in February 2008 as a CD-DVD set entitled Rest in Peace, All Systems Go 3. Um, A final and fourth volume in the All Systems Go series is supposedly in the works. So that is the very long history of a rocket from the crypt. So if, if Bill had been here, I would have asked him a series of questions about his dealings with the band, but since he's not... We're just going to have to jump right into <laughs> this review. Um, so prior to you working with Jay or you working with um, Bill and um, his involvement with Rocket from the Crypt, were you familiar with Rocket from the Crypt during the 90s? Um, I want to say, you know, I, I knew the name, um, but beyond that, I didn't know much about the band. I'm, I'm sort of in the same boat. I remember yeah. On a Rope. Uh, that was a single that we played at WFAL yeah. in the 90s. I don't really yep. remember much of the record. I didn't really know much of the record. Since then, I've gone back and listened to all the Rocket from the Crypt records. I've heard mm-hmm. Pain is a Fragrance, and I've heard Hot Charity, the earlier stuff. Um, and I've heard. And actually, I remember, and it must have been around the time that you started working with Bill, I remember... The RFTC album. Yeah. Specifically the song You Gotta Move, which had that like Latin beat is the best way that I can put it. It was very different from a lot of their stuff. It had like, yeah. you know, the shakers and, and uh, the, what is it called? A wero? The thing that spins. Yep, yep, yep. Um, yeah, I, I, that's probably the album I listened to most before this. And then I know the album Group Sounds that came out on Vagrant. Um, I'm not real familiar with Live from Camp X-Ray, although I have listened to it. I, I probably haven't listened to it since it came out. So, Circa Now was one that, excuse me, I went back and listened to uh, a while ago, but I only listened to it once. So it was good to go back, you know, to, to bring it back in and, and sort of listen to it over and over again because um, I, I think this is a band that really stands up to repeated listening. 
Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff that they're doing. I think the later albums, they, they got a little more diverse because they added more horns and they added string section and they added more percussion. Um, so this is sort of like the step before that all happened, but they were definitely pushing into that vein with the yeah. of just the the sax on this album. Yep. You could hear the, the, the beginnings of all that stuff. And to me that's that 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 um, makes it I guess for me probably the most successful album. It's sort of right at the edge of like doing something new and completely different without getting uh, uh, really indulgent and kind of going over the top, which they started to do later, you know, more and more with adding more and more horns and strings and, you know, everything else. Yeah, this, this starts Captures out... Captures a unique moment. This starts out with Short Lip Fuser, which I think encompasses pretty much everything you could ever need to know about Rocket from the Crypt. I mean, that song almost encapsulates the band. I like about it is that at a time when bands were doing soft verses and loud choruses this was a band that did loud verses and louder choruses <laughs> they never did anything soft that's for sure there's nothing so maybe ditch digger <laughs> at the beginning of it because it's sort of a three-four <laughs> swing but that's the thing yeah. that really sets this band apart is that there is yeah. no attempt at writing like the pixie soft loud soft loud oh no absolutely not they're and I agree, I agree that the first the first track is like uh, it's perfect. It's like to, to me, it's the best song they've ever written because it's just it it like it almost sounds like a Soundgarden riff. Yeah, to me, uh, I love the intro to it. It sort of builds, which they don't normally do. They normally just hit you over the head with the riff right away. Um, and this this builds a little bit. And then, and then it gets into the song, and it, it's a little bit slower than what you know their their later stuff tended to be, and the rest of this album, frankly, tends to be just a just a couple ticks a little bit slower, and um, it's got a defined it's got a strong chorus and a strong verse, which sometimes they struggle with having both of those in the song. Um, it's catchy. It's got a good riff. 
Got and I think it yeah. it sits right in the in a, in a time for a progression for this band where they went from being, you know, maybe a little bit not quite finding their uh, who they were to to adding the horns and starting to better define themselves, which this album is represents and this song best represents. And then later on, sort of okay, now we know who you are, and then they just really exploit that and sort of do that for several albums. Um, that this song to me really represents that that one moment in time where you know all of these things sort of combine together into one song. So to me, you know, track one is is just killer and it's the best it's the best song in the album. Now the thing that I noticed on this record, which I think is sort of winked at in other on other albums, but is not as prevalent, is that there's this like rockabilly aspect. The, yeah, to some yeah. of the stuff, it's on, especially on uh, track two, "Hippy Dippy Doo," and mm-hmm. track five, "Killy Kill," which actually yeah. has a bit of like a Rolling Stone like woo-hoo thing going on yeah. part of the song. Um, <laughs> you like that? They do a lot of uh, they do a lot of gang vocals, but yeah, they're coming from more of a uh, when they do the gang vocal, they're coming from more of a Rolling Stones school than a Motley Crue school of gang vocal. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, actually, <laughs> you, you nailed it. It's just interesting that a band that can be so uh, I don't want to say abrasive because they're never really abrasive. I can understand you might listen to John Reese vocal and be turned off. He doesn't. He, yeah, he's not your they, they walk the line. Yeah, they walk the line of being just, just, you know. There's at times where they they get a little bit obnoxious and abrasive, and then they kind of step it back just enough to kind of pull you back in. To me, he finds the right balance of yeah, he doesn't have a radio voice, but he's got personality to mm-hmm. you know to pull it off, which is mm-hmm. you know it can be the death of a band if don't have a guy who has this guy was obviously or is obviously full of personality i mean what what not only what they were doing musically but what they were doing on stage i mean obviously they were you know having fun and and looking for interesting ways to engage you know their fans and, and crowds and stuff like that so you can't have a reserved guy who's just going to stand up there and strum a guitar and look at the ceiling you know you got to have somebody who's a, a real band leader mm-hmm. was traditional of sense up there. So I'm trying to think of who to compare him to. Some of the, we, we 
reviewed that. You know what? It's really hard. It's really hard to find somebody that he sounds like. I mean, you know, maybe uh, I should know his name, but the guy from the New Bomb Turks, maybe a little bit. Eric but Davidson. He's probably. Yeah, I mean, he's either he, he's actually probably following Rock from the Crypt. Honestly, there was another band that I think that were hugely influenced by Rock from the Crypt. Right. He doesn't. He's he's very unique into himself, and it's almost like his vocal is distorted naturally. <laughs> you know, it's so uh, it's so like raspy and like uh, you know, kind of like it almost sounds like his throat's like kind of shredded with razors or something. You know, it's kind of he can deliver stuff that it, it sounds like what you would uh, you would achieve by adding a, you know. On a, a distortion pedal or rap pedal to somebody's vocals but that's his regular voice um and actually one of the things i don't like about this album is that they act they add extra distortion to his voice which is completely unnecessary because <laughs> you know it's 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 tore up enough on its on its own it doesn't need any help um and he knows where to stay you know he's he's got a limited range but he does a good job of like you know understanding where where his voice sounds good and he stays within that range and that makes the band who they are, and it also defines what their limits are. Which, you know, it, for me, I've always struggled with this band. Like, there's aspects of them that I love, and then there's other aspects to them that, you know, I think represent uh, where their limits lie. That uh, that that I wish they could break through here and there, and it would make me, you know, really love them and become one of my favorite bands. But they they can't quite break through that 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 wall, and some of it's vocally some of its songwriting some of its performance a little bit but but mostly vocal and songwriting but they just can't quite take that next step yeah um, and i'm sure for their fans that you know they don't mind and they love that part about them but uh you know i, I just always felt like when i was when i was listening to them they would pull me in and i'd be really into it and i would just want that next step to happen and it just wouldn't happen and this album represents that, you know, perfectly. There's, there's, there's tons of, tons of examples of it like that. Like they're, they're, they're the kings of the, uh, of the two and three chord riff. I mean, yes. some of these songs have one chord riffs, and they're awesome riffs, and they're literally one chord, but they're still really, really cool. They're playing with the right attitude and the right. Yeah, they, you know, they know how to put, uh, you know how to use space. You know, they know how to use pauses cool riffs you know and that's that's awesome unfortunately like sometimes they don't go anywhere they just keep repeating them over and over again and you're like ah yeah you know chorus and they don't go to the killer chorus um you know there's some moments on here where they do and that that's where i think it works really well i think half the album they they managed to do that i'm not a huge fan of you mentioned the rockability sort of aspects i'm not a huge fan of that kind of thing um so that those songs tend to turn me off a little bit you know, if you're into that kind of thing, you know, you probably wouldn't have a problem with it. I'm just kind of, I'm just really not. So when they start heading in that direction, I start to get turned off a little bit. Um, fortunately, like you said, I think there's only really two songs where they kind of do that. But uh, Yeah. Now, I did want to get to the song that I, I mentioned at the, at the start of this, Glazed, because yeah. it's kind of different. Um, it ends what would have been the original release of this album, and then when it was re-released they added four tracks so this is actually if you buy it now it's called circa now plus four right uh tracks 12 through 15 were were extra tracks added 
So, but the original end track is the song Glazed. It's over eight minutes long, by far the longest song on this album. Most of the tracks are under five minutes. And, and honestly, most of them are between two and three minutes, which is nice. But Glazed has this like, I don't even know, it's not like a drone, but like it has this repetitive um, end part to the song. Yeah. It goes on. It's totally unlike anything else on the record. You know, they're mm-hmm. pretty much verses and choruses and verses and choruses, and there aren't even a lot of bridges. It's just hammering stuff over and over again. Um, yeah. Which is cool. It works for them. That's their style. You know, if you like that, yeah. you like that. I was gonna say when I was reading some reviews, I, that was a song that kept got men- people mentioned as being like their favorite Rocket from the Crypt song. Really? Yeah, which I thought was odd. Yeah, that's very odd. Because I think there's a couple songs on here. Um, let's say like um, Sturdy Wrist, which I think is more representative of what you know RFTC and some of the other albums have. More di- di- more indicative of what you know Rocket from the Crypt sound is. I wouldn't think that song is. Now, what I was going to say, and may, maybe this is why uh, oh, hardcore fans like this song, I bet it's I bet it's a good live song. I bet that whole three, <laughs> three minutes or whatever it is at the end there where they're just repeating the same thing and jamming, uh, you know, I well, bet live they probably do something cool there, but... And they're chanting everybody smoke pot over and over again, so... yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. I would imagine that's a great set ender. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. So I'm sure a live experience that's that's a blast. Right. But uh, you know, for somebody who's never seen them live and just listened to this album, you're kind of like, uh, really? Yeah. When they get to that that uh, that clever little uh, placement of that lyric that kind of evolves into that saying and then evolves out of that, you're like, oh wow, okay. Uh, I'm sure if I was a kid in 1992, this would be really cool. But right now, this seems kind of a little bit forced. But all right, I'm going to go with it. You know, I'm right. sure live, I'm sure this is, you know, really cool to, for them to do this. But on a record in 2011, that's, uh, you know, almost 20 years old. It's a little weird. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's a, I, I think that's indicative of th- this was a very successful live band and i think a lot of people that were um huge fans of them you know saw them live at some point if not the first time they ever heard of them they saw them live i don't i don't think their records or their records are only part of the story and that's that's pretty unique i mean you know a lot of the bands we've reviewed you know they tend to be they tend to be album bands they tend to be recording bands and um you know what they did live is either you know, a small part of the story or not part of the story at all. You know, when we talk about this band is, it's at least 50%, if not 75% of who they were, um, is what they did live. 
Uh, one other song I wanted to mention is uh, track six, Hairball Alley. Mm-hmm. Got a little bit different sound than the rest of the record. It, it kind of reminded me of um, earlier Soul Asylum, which is a weird comparison. Um, but he's well, singing a bit of... differently. Yeah. And there's piano on it. just breaks a little bit from you know killy kill is so and and don't darlene are so um up tempo and you know prototype rocket from the crypt songs and that album yep. that song is it's got a you know just a bit more of like an alt rock sound i think yeah did you hear that yeah i think the uh the thing about that song is that uh and, and a lot of the songs that feel like um the choruses do not pay off I think there's some good parts i think there's some good riffs um especially the verses um but either the courses don't pay off or there are some cases where the courses do but then the verses don't like he won't even sing like he'll do some weird and that song might be like that like he does he's weird he'll, he'll wait and sort of almost do like spoken word kind of things with a distorted mic and then they'll bust in the chorus there's a couple songs like that where I, I just wish they were just a little bit tighter in regards to you know having a solid verse and having a solid chorus. Right. One of the things that really stood out to me though on this album that made a total made a lot of sense in terms of where this band's coming from, you know, because I've been aware of them for a while and I've listened to things here and there, but I was never really quite able to figure out. Like I knew they sort of had a punk aspect to them which i talked about earlier mm-hmm. but i didn't quite know what school they were coming from and this album i think made it really clear to me that they are um really ramones fans and they sort of bring the aspect of the ramones of you know everything is very simple there's not a whole lot of complicated things going on here there's no you know they play one song at three four that's about as complex as they get yeah, we need um, to talk about that of, one. There's a lot of repeating of things. Even like <clears throat> he doesn't have the you know his vocals aren't as good as Joey Ramone, but you know even some of the the concepts that they're working with and the song structures they're working with, um, I think are are influenced by the Ramones. This band doesn't sound anything like the Ramones, but I just get the sense of that's maybe where they're you know when they're going to study like how you make a song that that's kind of the 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 textbook they're going to 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 uh to form this band and to write the songs for it 
even sort of the you, know, you talk about you know they they wore outfits that matched and sort of the took on pseudonyms and that whole thing i mean that's very much a ramones thing obviously right they all had different names and they all wore the same outfit and this that whole aesthetic seems to be something that they they uh they embraced and and uh, made rocking from the crypt but you want to talk about ditch digger yeah because it's a totally separate song from the rest of the record yeah you know i mentioned that this was primarily a loud and then louder band except for that song yeah and then that song is in three four and that song is completely built around the chorus it starts out quiet and they they're just there's essentially no verse right i mean right i mean there's a there's an instrumental verse but i don't think he really doesn't sing a melody on the verse right um not what i kind of does like some little spoken things here and there but there's no like strong like melody during those verses Which is strange because the chorus is really good. Oh yeah, the, the, that okay. might be the best chorus on the record because it's, yeah. it's super melodic and um, he finds the groove to mm-hmm. match up to the music. Um, but yeah, there's essentially the it, it's building music. It gets louder and louder, and there's some like buried vocals in there. Mm-hmm. But it's funny that was released as a single because there's not really much to grab onto until you're almost a minute and a half into the song well i mean the chorus is so good like you you totally it's the chorus that you remember from the album like i i love i love the first song it's my favorite song from the album but the if you told me sing a chorus from the album the chorus i'm gonna sing is ditch digger so it just seems so strange to me it's like write a freaking verse and you'd have a hit song right (laughs) like even musically like it's fine during the verse but he doesn't sing anything it's like shit you gotta sing something right and it's long too, right? It's like a five minutes long. Four fifty, yeah. It's just under five minutes, and that's, uh, I think, that's the second longest song, after the eight twenty two of Glazed. So. And that's the thing I, I struggle with a little bit on this album because it's like I sort of, to me, I, I can smell the the Ramones influence and the, sort of the, them, probably considering you know. Uh, how the Ramones would write songs and stuff, but then they missed the whole point of, you know, Ramones songs are super short. So it's super catchy. Yeah, well, yeah. And, and some of these songs, it's like, you know, that's one of the things about the Ramones I wish they did, you know. Most of them are pretty short, but there's a couple where it's like, particularly the first song in Ditch Digger, which are two of the best, they're too damn long. Uh, <laughs> like, Ditch Digger five like minutes, I think. Three minutes long, that would be perfect. Yeah, yeah and they just keep... You know, the way they write, it, it, it's like the Ramones in terms of, you know, they're writing two and three chord songs that repeat parts over and over again. Well, 
you know, you can't do that for five or six minutes. I mean, I'm sure live that's awesome, but on a record, it's like, Jesus, I've heard this part enough. Like, you can stop playing it now. Right. Like, I got it. You're not playing it any different. You're not anything, any, any, you know, anything extra. You can go ahead and just trim that up, and we can get down to, uh, you know, Ditch Trigger should be at most a three-minute song. Agreed. It's, it's weird to get into why this wasn't more popular, because... It was essentially released twice in the 90s. You had the original release on the uh, small label, and then it was re-released by Interscope. I would say they broke through on the next album, which I guess makes sense. I mean, On a Rope has a huge chorus, and it's repetitive. And it's one of the... I mean, honestly, in terms of the 90s songs, that's probably one of the choruses that I remember the best. It's so repetitive, and it's just... The vocals are locked in with the with the guitars and the and the rhythm section. It's a great riff. Yeah. Too. Again, like I, I believe mean, Marilyn it... Manson stole that riff. Or uh, there's a song that's on uh, not Mechanical Animal, Animals, but the album that came out after that, mm-hmm. and it has the exact same riff. Yeah. But in terms of why this album wasn't bigger kind of seems like there wasn't other than ditch digger there wasn't a gigantic memorable hooky chorus that would have gotten them a, a radio hit no a dream I mean, hit and in general i think this is a again this is a live band this is a band that you know is going to thrive from live shows they're not going to probably they're not going to um, have a big radio hit they probably knew that uh, you know they're not trying tremendously hard to make that happen at least from from listening to this and some of the other other albums where they even get more indulgent and they sort of know that they're going to make their career being a live band and they're fine with that and you know there's some bands that just accept you know potentially what their limits are you mm-hmm. know and that's fine i mean not every band has to be freaking bon jovi that's 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 cool you know <laughs> they don't have to be like huge mega radio you know stars and stuff so um i think they've they had a really good career. I think it lasted quite a long time. They put out a lot of music. They obviously took advantage of Interscope quite a bit. Yeah, I'll say. A lot of, got a lot of them. Um, so, you know, in a way, it's like, you know, this was successful. You know, it, maybe not, you know, they didn't have a big hit like Soul Asylum, but, you know, they probably had a better career overall than, than uh than most bands did in the 90s if not you know the majority just out of curiosity have you listened to any of the other related artists like drive like jehu or hot snakes or sultans or anything like that um i've heard hot snakes i think i listened to drive like drive like jehu you know way back which i'm i'm i'm, I'm actually interested in, in going back and listening to that band now more than the others he got obsessed with this swami sultan thing i, I don't know what that was about but like I remember when Bill was still working with them and um, like in early 2000s, like everything had to do, all the artwork and all the names of the albums and stuff had to do with Swamis and Sultans. I don't, I don't know what that, even now, like they're going to be on, uh, <clears throat> they're going to be on Yo Gabba Gabba this season, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he's dressed like a salt. Like he's got the head wrap on and the silk shirt and the whole thing. Like, He's still doing that. I, I don't know what that's about, but he's like obsessed with the Swami Sultan thing. Weird. So, Very weird. Yeah. But and he made some remark. Uh, 
that you know the band will not be doing a reunion. This was a one-time thing, so that's but a shame. That, you know, I would like to see this band live, or I would have liked to have seen them. I guess since they're not going to yeah. be back together. Yeah, I, they're one that, from all the reading about them, they seem like they would have been an incredibly fun live band to see. Mm-hmm. So, all right, I think we've covered circa now. Thanks to Bill Litvin, who couldn't join us, but who did suggest this album. Um, I'm also going to go back and check out some Drive Like Jehu, because I've never listened to uh, those albums. So, mm-hmm. so I'm just curious how, is it, how it compares, like, sonically and, and music and songwriting-wise to this. Yeah, I didn't realize he was doing both bands in parallel. For some reason, I thought that, like, one became one came before the other or something, but... Yeah. It's very interesting that they kind of were in parallel, and he sounds like they were signed at about the same time to Interscope. They were signed as the same yeah, it was basically he got signed and then both bands were part of the deal. Wow. Sounds like. That's very unusual. Yeah. Hey, it was 1992. Uh, everybody was getting signed. To... I think we talked about this last week. It was like <laughs> everybody was getting a deal. Interscope was basically bending over and giving anybody what they wanted. Right. And good for him for taking it. I mean, obviously he's you know, pretty business savvy in terms of, uh, you know, he, he saw an opportunity there and, and took advantage of it. So good for him because a lot of bands got screwed. Yeah. Seems, seems to have made the most of it. That does it for Rocket from the Crypt Circa Now. We are done. Uh, we'll be back next week. Jay, you'll be here what, next week, right? Mm, we'll see. We'll see. Is your contract up? I'm not sure. I have to check your <laughs> your deal might be up, so we might have to. Um, I'm gonna hold out. We might need to, just you end need up, to talk to my agent. I'm just gonna franchise you for the next 40 shows, and we'll deal with it after that. That's fine. You have to pay me the average of the top 10 highest paid podcasters in the world. 90s podcasters of podcasters of 90s music. <laughs> oh, that's right. You have to. It's by my position. Yes. You don't get you're you're a '90s podcast. You're not Leo Laporte. You don't get the Leo Laporte money. So that means you owe me at least ten cents. Yes. A year. Yes. You can see that in your uh, earnings statement that you will receive and then have to pay taxes on. So enjoy that. Mastered. All right, we're out of here. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Want to leave feedback? Join the conversation about this episode. Visit digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed.